This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. So it's a pleasure to be speaking in the second talk of your Advent series. And we are in Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. And I really want to thank Claire, who started us off last week meditating on the, on the name Wonderful Counselor. And Claire made a really important part, uh, point about perspective last week. Uh, the Christmas story is so familiar to those of us both in and outside of the church that we can become over familiar. And uh, it's good for us to just ask for that new, fresh perspective. But actually, I think this is particularly true of this passage. It's so familiar that it's a challenge to our perspective. I don't know about you, but um, I am useless at memorizing scripture unless it's through song. Uh, and if there are any musos out there, then Handel's Messiah this time of year just springs to mind. And I can't stop myself from singing wonderful. I won't, I'm not going to sing it because it's not great. <laughs> wonderful counselor. Uh, so there you go. That's, there'll be no more singing. Um, but it's gonna, I know it's going to be a problem for me when I get to back to Trinity next year and we're doing Jeremiah because literally all I hear in my head after the word Jeremiah is, was a bullfrog. Um, and for that earworm, you are very welcome. <laughs> it's a problem. It's gonna be literally doing my head in. Uh, so for those of us who want to challenge our perspective, I think we probably need to orientate ourselves into God's big storyline. Uh, so you've got another little slide of mine. We've got creation and mountains, uh, that's me, uh, and end times. And I just want to say now, I have no supernatural word about the scale of that timeline and drawing. Uh, I don't know how long that is towards the end. Uh, we don't need to worry about that. Um, but actually, this is where we need to kind of fill in a little bit more on that timeline. So if we look at my next drawing, um, we can see a little bit more of the filling in. Ah, oh, there's Jesus. <laughs> so here we are in what's often called the time between the times or the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Uh, so we have seen the kingdom break in with the birth of Jesus. Uh, and the wonderful, really exciting bit about this is that we get to inhabit this big storyline. But when we're looking back at the Old Testament, we need to really understand the whole of this timeline. If I was to say to you, don't think of an elephant, I can imagine right now you're all imagining big flappy ears and a trunk. Uh, and it's really impossible to not picture an elephant, even though I've told you not to. I suggest it's also the same with Jesus. It's really difficult for us to look back at the Old Testament and not see Jesus. And we're in good company. Jesus himself often quoted Isaiah and other Old Testament prophets and made the parallel. As one commentator puts it of Matthew, his eyes must have been literally popping out of his head as he made sense of the birth, life, death, and resurrection in light of the Old Testament. However, as any good Bible teacher will tell you, and as I know you've been doing with Owen in your recent series, you need to see scripture in its original context. 
And for us, we have to work extra hard to not see the elephant or Jesus. So if we look at our next slide, we're going to have a little look about where we are in this bit of the story. So there's a lot that's happened between creation and Isaiah. Uh, and we see Isaiah there, it's not me. Uh, but he has a big wave in front of him, which is the Assyrian Empire. Now, here's a context health warning. Just as it's hard for us to look back and not see Jesus, it's even harder for us to make sense of the who, what, where, and when of Old Testament texts. Especially the prophets who weren't writing histories as we would describe, or even the historical writings of one and two kings, which aren't overly concerned with a purely factual framework of time or events. I think I'd also argue that history, even today, is never written in a purist vacuum, but that might be another talk for another time, or maybe even a podcast with Owen and Byrne. So here are three key things to understand about Isaiah the book. There indeed was an early prophet, a man of God who lived around 700 BC, and that's a hotly contested thing in itself. He had disciples, he had at least two children, he heard from God, he challenged the people, particularly the rulers, and he called people back to Yahweh, just like every good Old Testament prophet should. There is a change of style and writing within the current version that we receive. Now, whether that's because the early passages are mixed with later songs and sayings or mixed with later writings by the prophet or his disciples or indeed the post-exilic community, this shouldn't detract in any way from the God-given breath in them. Nor should it mess with our idea of the authority of scripture. If anything, the continuity of the message over potentially hundreds of years is a miracle in itself. This is the living, breathing word of God. And just as we wrestle some 3,000 years later with what it means for us, I can imagine the post-exilic community doing just the same, especially after their literal decimation of people, place, and culture. I'm sure they couldn't resist adding their own occasional, and so it was, to the prophet. But Isaiah did not see Jesus some 700 years into the future. What he did see, he absolutely would have believed that God would continue to save his people. But this passage is first and foremost about Isaiah's perspective and that mighty God will act in Isaiah's here and now. So it's important we take a bit of time to look at Isaiah's perspective. Isaiah absolutely saw the rise of the Assyrian wave in front of him. And this song is for the new king or the firstborn prince that speaks hope for a king with supernatural wisdom, exceeding far beyond King Ahaz's decision at the time to subject himself and therefore his people to the Assyrian emperor and therefore the Assyrian gods. Could God have given Isaiah foreknowledge about another empire? that would rise up and be worse than the wave in front of him? Absolutely. Would it be hard for us to, in particularly in a post-pandemic world, to imagine how quickly 
world stability can change. I guess the same might be true for Isaiah. And finally, Isaiah can see and know that the mighty God will use these world powers, leaders and circumstances to bring about restoration to the people, place and culture, using a king named Cyrus from a yet unknown empire. I don't think any of that would have been impossible for Isaiah to know with the help of the mighty God. In the midst of these near and yet far off waves and threats, Isaiah can sing this song. When experience has shown him, when experience has shown him that kings can act in fear or self-interest or lead people away from Yahweh, when history has shown him that empires rise and fall, and as always, it's the people that pay the heaviest price, that shoulder the biggest burden rather than the kings who've not rightly shouldered this in good governance. Isaiah, in these circumstances, sings this royal hope. Uh, it's on the slides, but I'm going to read it uh, from my Bible. I meant to bring an actual Bible. Shockingly, I've just got my phone, sorry. But as I read it, I want you to really come to it with that fresh perspective of Isaiah's perspective, of the ways of threat that he is facing, and yet the song of hope that he can sing. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot rolled, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Do you know, this is such a sure hope for Isaiah that in the Hebrew idiom, it's written in the past tense as if this future event has already happened. And where does Isaiah's hope come from? It comes from God's perspective. Bigger than the waves of Assyria, Babylon, all the Greeks, all the Romans to come. And what are the outworkings of this hope? 
I suggest there are three things. It doesn't mean kings, leaders, individuals with power and influence don't plan or prepare or leave their brain at the door. It always means that if you use your plans, preparations, influence and power to oppress others, God wants a word with you. It should mean that if we put our faith, trust and worship only in the one God of Israel, mighty God who is faithful to save, then all will be well. So what does that mean for us or me nearly 3,000 years later to be grafted in to this big story and to look back at? You don't need to see my picture again, but if you want to, you're welcome. Firstly, just as it did for the post-exilic community returned to the land by Cyrus, just as it did for John the Baptist and his disciples, just as it did for Jesus and his disciples, particularly poor Matthew with his eyes popping out, there is a recognition that as one theologian describes it as one divine thread that has been made to hold all of these events together in a theologically meaningful sequence. We are still part of this divine thread. And we have a new view of this wonderful counsellor that is mighty God, who is faithful to save. You see, we have a mighty God who doesn't just have a balcony view, but who is distinctly involved in, aware of and alert to our need. A mighty God who sends himself, his son, as helpless babe, who knows what love, pain, loss and suffering in those waves really are. And Jesus, as fully God and fully man, shows us what true humanity is like in beautiful relationship with the Father. But there's more of that to come next week. So what does that mean for me and us to look forward to in the not yet? It should make us question and take time to reflect on whether we have unwittingly put our faith, trust and worship in anything that is not our wonderful counsellor that is our mighty God and Papa. Now, please hear me, that's not a point of shame, but to spend time with Jesus and let him lovingly show us where some of our hope may be misguided if it's not in him. And secondly, will there be fresh waves on the horizon, personally, collectively, political turmoil, new pandemics? I think the answer is yes. And I don't need supernatural revelation to answer that. And, and we have a mighty God who is faithful who is mighty to save, who is bigger than any of those waves that we face, and Jesus will come again. Now, that's not to minimise in any way those waves or our need to act as the body of Christ when they come. But our hope is in our mighty God, who is our Papa. So I just wanted us today to take a little bit of time, if we wanted to respond to any of that in any way, 
to maybe collectively, corporately pray the Our Father together. Because when we recognize our need and our response in the here and now, the need for God's kingdom to come here on earth, then this is surely our only response. And perhaps as a way to respond corporately, we could, um, this might be familiar to you or this might be your first time in a church ever and you're like, I've no idea what she's talking about. That's fine. I'm going to make it uncomfortable for all of us. <laughs> so the version of the Our Father I have is in fact Burn Leckie's. It's the Leckie family bedtime version of the Our Father, um, which will come up on the screen because I can't remember that one off by heart either. And if you want to see why Burn Leckie has written his own version for a very good reason uh, you can check it out on his blog so before we stand and we pray this together um, after this if you want to remain in a time of response with Jesus with our mighty God who is our wonderful counsellor then feel free to just take time uh, and see what Holy Spirit does with you so if you'd like to stand our Father in heaven, may your name be honoured. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the bread and bits we need and forgive us what we owe as we forgiven people who owe us something. And lead us so we aren't led by temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Oh,